Good Friday is one of those days for me when I'm always at a dilemma. And what is that dilemma? To be sad because of the pain and torture that Jesus went through. Or to be happy because he went to the cross for my sins so that I do not have to die but instead have eternal life. Of course, the answer is obvious when we understand the meaning of it. But every year when Good Friday comes, I'm in this tension. I don't know how it is with you, but that's the tension I always, always go through every Good Friday. So here we are again, 2023 Good Friday. It's a special day for God's people and the church. I hope it is not just another service to you, but it's truly a special one. It is probably hard to imagine what the circumstances and the atmosphere might have been in Jerusalem on the day of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all know that crucifixions are not new. They have witnessed it many times. But nevertheless, the events that had led up to this crucifixion must have been a dramatic one for them. It must have had a great impact all over the city. And there surely wasn't a resident there who was unaware of what was going on. It must have been the talk of the town. People must have been whispering as to what was happening. It was an emotionally charged environment as well. There was tension in the air in the moment in time when we would expect the sun to be bright and sunny. But around this time, the skies were turned to total darkness. And the gospel writers record for us the fact that from midday, from noon on this particular day until three in the afternoon, the whole sky had turned black and the city of Jerusalem was engulfed in what must have been a very eerie darkness. Now today for us, when we read this narrative or this event, which has been recorded for us in the Gospels, and then we read it in the epistles, we will find it difficult to, tr to understand maybe to some extent as to what those people must have gone through during that period. Now as crowds gathered around, which has been recorded for us again, hearing snippets and bits and pieces of the proceedings, they would have been forced to wonder at the statements of, the, of what was happening in, at the cross that was being made by the Lord Jesus Christ. And people must have been marveling at the fact that the two men on the outside still had enough energy to criticize and speak bad about the one that was right in the center of the cross. Maybe they did not understand what he was saying. Like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And these people would have well been aware 
of the sounds that came from the crosses. And they would have regarded these as highly irregular. The words that was coming out from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ must have been something very strange to them to listen. They would have listened carefully, some of them to the loud cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the buzz would have gone around the group. He's calling Elijah. And maybe the people were nudging one another and passing the news along. We believe that he started calling Elijah. And the people on the circumferences, those who are getting ready to go, they must have said, hey, just wait. Just hang on a little longer. Let's see if Elijah actually comes. For they really had no notion of what was going on. They just didn't understand what the Lord Jesus was saying on the cross. And what did they make the loud cry which ended all of his statements, which presumably rose above the clamor of the crowd and was audible to the ears of most and was summarized in one striking word which pierced into the darkness of the day. And the people said to one another as they began to move away, there was this one Greek word, tetelestai. Why would he say, finished? Finished. Why shout finished? And some would have said, maybe because that is exactly what he was. He was finished. He knew that he was going to die. And maybe that is why he uttered that word, finished. Maybe others would have said he believed that the cruelty that he had been impressed upon him so dreadfully was now finished. And with a cry of defiance or a cry of relief, he simply uttered his last word. Some may have taken it to be the moan of defeat. Others may have gone to their homes believing to have simply been the final word of a patient resignation. Finally, wearied by it all because of the trials that he went through, because of the horrendous accusations that he faced, the cruelty of the people. And with that one word, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's finished. And that's exactly the word that I want us to look into today. But what is it? When Jesus said, it is finished, what did it actually mean? It was actually a cry of victory and not of defeat, just as what the crowd would have thought. It was a triumphant recognition on the part of Christ that he had actually now fully accomplished the work that he had come to earth to do. Feel the tension between the word of suffering and the word of victory on the other side. On the tree of death, the water of life cried out, I thirst. The word of suffering was not the last word. 
from the parched lips of this crucified Savior comes a shout of victory. And what is that? It is finished. By the way, Jesus did not say, I am finished. That would have meant completely different. But he said, it is finished. This is the victor's triumphant shout. In John 17, 4, it has been recorded for us. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work what you gave me to do. And maybe at the age of 33, many of us would have thought this, that is the age when our life is just beginning. But Jesus declared when he was 30, 33, it is finished. But this is about more than the end of his journey. It is about the completion of a mission. In Matthew 1, 21, the angel told Joseph concerning Mary, she will bear a son and you, shall, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was born to die. He knew it. He was on a mission. The accomplishment of his death was a purpose of his life. And that is why we celebrate Good Friday. Now these very words, it is finished, is the sixth saying from the cross. Sinners are made right with God only by the finished work of Christ at the cross. I repeat, sinners are made right with God only by the finished work of Christ at the cross. Jesus saves completely, exclusively, and eternally. John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This cry of Jesus translates one Greek word that I just mentioned, it is tetelestai in Greek. That is what it is known. And this is what Charles Spurgeon wrote. It would need all the other words that ever were spoken or even can be spoke to explain this one word. It is altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. That's how rich and deep the meaning of this word is. Now people use this term when they completed their obligatory tasks. We would normally say, it is finished. When artists would complete their work of art, they would say, it was finished. Warriors would use the term, after they prevailed in battle. It is a word you and I would use when we would graduate from college. 
It is a word we use after crossing the finish line of a marathon. It is a word we use maybe after we pay off our credit card bills. And this term is a commercial term. When a person paid a merchant, paid a debt, or paid his taxes, tetelestai was a word that would be written on the receipt. It meant paid in full. Paid in full. Now God is holy and we are not. So God demands perfect righteousness. But all of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. Now good intentions, good efforts and good works cannot pay the debt of sin. But what God demands, God provides in Christ. We owe the debt we cannot pay. So who did that? Jesus paid the debt. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What sin is keeping you from God? Let me give you an answer. It really does not matter. When you trust the righteousness of Christ, it is paid in full, is stamped over every sin in your life. It could be bribery, paid in full. Disobedience, paid in full. Embezzlement, paid in full. Pride, paid in full. Lying, paid in full. Whatever sin is left out, you can add it to your list. It is paid in full. It has been finished by the work of Christ on the cross. Psalm 103, 10 to 12. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That is the Lord Jesus Christ we worship. And that is why we are here today to celebrate that great event and act on the cross in history. There is nothing that the Lord Jesus Christ cannot remove from us. The sins that we have committed, he has paid it all. He has paid it all. Today, I'm not sure whether you are saying, does it mean that the Lord can forgive so-and-so sins? Maybe not mine, because I'm a wretched man or a woman. I have sinned, and that is haunting me all the time. The good news is, repent. 
and turn to him. There is no sin that he cannot forgive. It is paid in full and sin is no more. It has been defeated on the cross. A man under conviction showed up late to a gospel crusade. He sought out the evangelist and desperately asked, what must I do to be saved? The evangelist replied, it's too late. You cannot do anything. The alarmed man asked again, what must I do to be saved? The evangelist re repeated, it's too late. You cannot do anything. It is actually already done. It is already done. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he has already paid it all for you and for me. This is the essence of the gospel. Religion teaches what sinners must do to be saved. We know of many examples. Some might say you need to fast for 30 days. Some might say take a dip in a holy water. Some might say do good. And the list goes on and on and on. Somehow trying to find a way how our sins might be forgiven. But Christianity asserts there is nothing the sinner can do to be saved. The good news is that it is finished. There is no salvation outside of the person and work of Christ. Do you remember that verse? It, was the, it is the Lord Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners, he came and he saved us. We are so deep in our sin and our wretchedness. There was no way we could have done it by acts of good, good deeds or by doing any other deeds. There was just no way out. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself who reached us and he picked us up from where we are. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. It is considered foolish, arrogant, narrow-minded to claim there is only one way to God. Yet Jesus emphatically declared that no one comes to God the Father except through him. And that is why many times when we say Jesus is the only way, we become so unpopular. People don't like that. Because there is a tendency for many to say that we believe in this religion and that religion. We follow the teaching of this person and that person. We have no problem because all these lead us to that same destination. But for us, it is exclusive. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has claimed that already. He said, I am the way, no other way. I am the truth and I am the life. Whether it is a popular saying or not, 
but that is the reality. And we are so privileged today as we sit here because we hold on to this truth as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who saves must be fully God and he also must be fully human. Salvation is a divine accomplishment, not a human achievement. John 2.9 says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And in Ephesians 2.9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. If I would have been able to attain my salvation but by what I do, or by my good works, then I might have the tendency to boast and say, look at me. It's because I'm such a good person, I do this, I feed the poor, I give to charity, I love my neighbors, I try to be good to everyone. There would have been a tendency to really boast. And then there would be a competition to see, okay, who is more religious? And I think that is what the world does most of the time. But for us, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who did it all for us. And the one who saves must be fully human as well. The holiness, wrath, and justice of God would not permit him to forgive sin without a penalty being paid. Lambs, bulls, doves could never satisfy God's demands for justice. A second Adam had to finish what the first Adam messed up in the Garden of Eden. It is through the first Adam that sin came into the world and now the second Adam had to finish what the first Adam messed up with. The Savior had to be holy, sinless, and righteous. The Savior also had to be a man and God to re represent both parties. Only one person could qualify to do this job, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He qualified to do it. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. Isaiah 53.4-6 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was, a, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All our sins was laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christian farmer witnessed to a carpenter who would not trust the finished work of Christ. 
One day, the farmer asked the carpenter to make him a gate for his fence. When it was finished, the farmer invited the carpenter to see the newly installed gate. Now, when this carpenter arrived, the carpenter was shocked to see the farmer standing with an axe in his hand. What are you doing, he asked. I'm going to add a few cuts and strokes to your work, answered the farmer. The carpenter protested, there is no need for that. The gate is complete for the way it is. The farmer hacked away until the gate was destroyed. Look, what have you done, cried the carpenter. You ruined my work. Yes, said the farmer. And you seek to nullify the finished work of Christ by your miserable additions to it. So he had taught a lesson to the carpenter. Today here we are saying everything has been finished. Jesus Christ has finished the work for us. We don't need to add anything else to that. We don't need to try and beautify it, subtract it or add it. It has been recorded for us in the scripture. It has been paid. Everything has been paid. Lastly, when Jesus declared it is finished, it was no premature celebration of an incomplete mission. The work of salvation was done. The promise of scripture was fulfilled. The debt of sin was paid. And that is what we read in John 19.30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Having finished his work, it looked like as if Jesus bowed his head. He was resting on a pillow and voluntarily gave up his spirit in death. Tetelestai is, an, is a grammatical emphasis that means it is finished. It stands finished. It will be finished. Our salvation is eternally secure. Salvation is not purchased with an installment plan. Jesus said, it is finished. He did not say, I made a down payment. It is finished once and for all. That's it. It has been paid once and for all. Those of you who are of my generation, if you listen to music, there was one band which we used to love a lot at our younger days. It was a band called Pitra. There is a beautiful song that they used to sing, and I'd like to read that in closing. In the heat of the early morning on a hill they called the skull, the roaring of the angry mob had settled to a lull. All eyes were cast upon the man whose hands and feet were bound. They saw him cry in anguish when they heard the hammer pound. They watched the bloody woven thorns with which his head was crowned. They watched the bloody cross of wood be dropped into the ground. The soldiers gambled for his clothes. 
They watched them win and lose. They saw the sign above his head that said, King of the Jews. And the sky grew black as the night, and the people scattered in fright. The work had been done, redemption had been won, the war was over without a fight. It is finished. They searched his face for anger, for vengeance in his stare. Instead of eyes that blurred with hate, a look of love was there. He prayed for their forgiveness and bowed his battered head. And no one knew the meaning of the final words he said. The provision has been made, the foundation has been laid. He paid the ransom due and tore the temple veil in two and opened up the way for me and you. And the sky grew black as the night and the people scattered in fright. The work had been done, redemption had been won, the war was over without a fight. It is finished. It is finished. Lord Jesus, we come before you as your people today. We thank you for that work on the cross for you and for me. We thank you because you have finished that work for us. Now we do not need any other sacrifice. We thank you for going to the cross for us. We thank you for the assurance of salvation. We thank you for the assurance of eternal life with you. I pray that we would hold on to this truth and live righteously for you for the rest of our lives and wait patiently for that day when we would be with you face to face again. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. We thank you for Good Friday. May you bless this day for each and every one of us again. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.